Psalm 1. And so we're going to look at this well-known psalm as part of our Summer in the Psalms series. And uh, I, I have to make this after, it was an honor to make this um, kind of observation. After last year, it rained for the first eight weeks of Summer in the Psalms, and now it is so hot, many of you are telling me you're unable to sleep. Um, yeah, heat is, uh, heat is bad. Um, and uh, I, am, I am told that heat pumps are in our church's future and proper air conditioning network. Um, so that'll be the real mercy of God upon us next summer. <laughs> Psalm 1 is, if you've grown up in the church, a reasonably well-known psalm. And I would probably suggest that if you think about the psalms and you try and think which psalm comes to mind first, it'll probably be Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd. Uh, but after that, Psalm 1 is probably going to show up as one of the psalms that you call to mind. And I think, sadly, it is, it is often misused. It is misinterpreted. Uh, some people interpret it in a very graceless way, um, and also potentially a Christless way. Uh, so we're going to seek to not do that this morning. Psalm 1 is a contrast between a, a righteous man and the wicked. There are only two options. And it says that the righteous is to be blessed by God and the wicked are cursed and will face judgment. That's what's going on. This is the first psalm, the first of 150 psalms. It has a real, puts a real theme on the, the psalms, I would say. Uh, and uh, let us try and uh, understand it and see what God and the Holy Spirit is saying to us uh, through this word. Let's read together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the council of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word to us. Many people have read this psalm and, and they've noticed that this is very black and white. There's no in-between. There's the righteous and there is the wicked no middle ground. I want you to notice that the psalm is not telling you to do anything. There are no imperatives. Do this, do that. Or believe this, or believe that. It doesn't say that. It is simply descriptive. It is a picture of how the psalmist views God's 
world. And we could say it is wisdom, it is timeless principles of God that describe God's universe. The psalm sets up the fact that this is a, a moral world. There is righteousness, there is wickedness, and it is God who decides. God is the creator and he decides how his creation, the creature, is to live. And that all makes sense to us. I want us to, before we start really interpreting it, it's quite simple as we, as we walk through to, to see what is happening. Let's just walk through it quickly. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man. Blessed. Happy, some would say. Someone starts off with the same words that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed. It's a pronouncement of blessedness by God. There are a huge number of blessings placed upon the righteous man by God. And this righteous man negatively does not do certain things. It says he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The language there is walking in the counsel of the wicked. So it's listening to the advice of wicked people. Standing in the way of sinners. Doing what sinners do. And then it's sit down, sit in the seat of scoffers, those that mock God. Not just scoffing at things that we think are a bad idea, scoffing at God's wisdom, God's righteousness, God's commands. The righteous one who is blessed by God does not participate in these things. The counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners, in sit in the seat of scoffers. The righteous man is someone who rejects the world's wisdom. And so we are called, as the righteous man here is called to, to hate sin, to love righteousness, to, to hate what God hates, and to love what God loves. This picture of, of, of walking and then standing and then sitting, it just shows something of a picture of the destructive nature of sin. You notice? Slow, stop, sit. Sin is destructive. It slows us down. And the end of someone shows the picture of the finality of disobeying God. It shows us that the the way of the wicked will perish. That is the negative side. This is the thing that the righteous man does not do. But positively, what does the righteous man do? It says that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This word here refers to Lord, refers to Torah, first five books of the Old Testament, but it's also greater than that. It can understand the law of the Lord, to have a delight in the law of the Lord is to love God's word in a general sense. 
loves what comes from the mouth of God and day and in night and he ponders it and he meditates on it and he thinks about it and he seeks to, to do it. This righteous man is then like a, a tree who's planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in its season. For us, we, we get that metaphor, do we not? We understand that a tree bears fruit, but you know, maybe in our country, we're one of the greenest uh, countries on earth. It's, it's easy to grow a tree, but imagine going back to Israel. If you wanted a tree to grow and bear fruit and thrive, you really had to put it near water. You had to, to place it by a water source right there. Otherwise, that thing is not growing and it will not bear fruit. The one who rejects the way of the world, who loves God's word and his wisdom, is, is blessed and just prospers. He's told it prospers in all that he does. And so, we have the righteous, we have the wicked, we have a contrast. The righteous does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers and mock God. He does not live life on his terms, but he lives it according to how God would have him live. The righteous is spared from eternal judgment. The wicked, we're told, are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. When you separate wheat, the kernel from the wheat, you have the chaff that is left over. You keep the wheat, and the chaff is blown away by the wind. They're separated. This picture which we see brought up in Matthew chapter 25 with the sheep and the goats being separated, and elsewhere in the gospel, the wheat separated from the chaff, the kingdom of God is like that. They grow up together and then there is separation at the end. The wicked are not so. They're blown away easily. Maybe you've seen people that just really shake their fists at God. Men like Richard Dawkins. Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, uh, Stephen Fry, maybe you've seen that video. What would you do, Stephen, if you stood before God one day? And Stephen Fry, this great British uh, comedian and playwright, he says, I would basically says, I would shake my fist at God and say, He is a moral monster. There's a clear picture of what a scoffer is. And sometimes it's very tempting for us within the church to, to look at such people, to see their picture of strength and say, wow, these people are living life on their own terms and they're shaking their foot to God. Maybe it's tempting to see some of their boldness. They're not scared at all. Someone tells us, Chaff and the wind drives away. Rather than someone just standing there living their entire life against God and, and appearing to be this staunch God hater with strength that shows 
They have no strength. They have no strength. They're like Lake Topol pulled up into a giant wave, crushing over a tree that stands on its shores. It will not stand. like throwing a marshmallow into the pit of a volcano. There's no strength. Their strength did not exist. And therefore we are told, the wicked will not stand in judgment. They will not remain standing. They're like a building that gets knocked over in an earthquake. No survivors. Sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous because the Lord knows. God is knows those that belong to him. God knows the righteous, the way of the wicked will perish. Do we see that? Two options. One's blessed, one's cursed. Now, where are we? Where are we in this psalm? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, I don't know God. I Jesus Christ is not my Lord and Savior. I have nothing to do with Him. I live life on my own terms. I know I am the wicked. Maybe you know that. Listen to some good news. But if we read someone and we try and understand what it is saying to us, people have understood it in a variety of different ways over the years. And it's a very common way of looking at someone and rightly seeing that there's the wicked and the righteous and then saying there's nothing in between so if you hate God, you're wicked and if you're not like that, if you're you're a Christian, then you're the righteous. And therefore we look at someone and we then say okay, well if you're Christian, you're part of the righteous and therefore you need to live this way. You need to live differently. You seek to not walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the way of sinners, etc. And there is absolutely an element of truth to that. The Christian does seek to live differently. The Christian does seek to reject the world's wisdom. But it's incomplete, I would say. It's missing a piece of the puzzle. If you look at this psalm and you go, boom, this is the Christian, this is the non-Christian, you might feel some tension. And if you're not feeling that tension, let's feel uncomfortable together. Let's feel uncomfortable together. I've heard people admit to this, seeing this tension. Can I honestly say, ask yourself this, Can I honestly say after coming to Christ that I never at times walk in the counsel of the wicked? Can I never say that? Do I never stand in the way of sinners? Do I never do anything blasphemous ever? You see, if we're going to say that the Christian never ever does those things, the righteous Christian never ever does those things, 
we're going to classify walking and standing and sitting as unrepentant habitual sin. Does that make sense? We're going to classify those things as unrepentant habitual sin, like really bad sin. Or maybe we're going to look at them and say, this is only really bad sorts of sins. Maybe fornication, or homosexuality, or abortion, or drunkenness. It's very easy to look at someone and declare it to be staying away from sins that we ourselves do not necessarily struggle with. But setting a standard that perhaps we can reach. And might I suggest that when Jesus summarized the moral law of God as loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, he again reiterated what God's standard is. Can we not say that we fail to love God wholeheartedly when we are discontent in our lives, we're discontent with the things that God has given us? When we tell ourselves that something other than God will satisfy our hearts, when we're self-righteous, when we speak ill of others, when we worship in our heart that which is not God? Can we not say in those moments that we are agreeing with the world's wisdom in our sin and our disobedience? Surely, surely you can admit at times I am tempted to walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the seat of sinners. You might object to that and say that that the Christian can sin, they can fall into sin, but they won't habitually stay in sin and in a place of complete unrepentant habitual sin. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. The book of Hebrews certainly sets that up, I think. We have been given a new heart. We've been given the Holy Spirit as Christians to lead us in righteousness. Our deepest desire absolutely should be to live for Christ. But if you're still not seeing it, what about the law of God, the Word? Think of this. Ask yourself this. Do you delight in it? Do you love it? Do you meditate on it day and night? And if you're a Christian, I hope you say yes. I really hope you say yes. But what's your standard? What's your standard? Do you always love it? Do you always meditate on it? How many of you trying to read the Bible in a year or some sort of reading plan this year. How many of you are doing that? Wow. Um, how, how many of you have given up a Bible in the year reading plan? How many of you like started one and finished one? Put, put your hand up. Started it and finished the Bible in a year. How many of you done that? Few of you. Good. Okay. How many of you started one of those reading plans and you've given up at some point? Hands up. Hands up. I'm putting mine up too. That's good. All right. That's not good, but it's true. It's honest. 
Lying is also a sin. Because you start off in Genesis and then maybe you get to Leviticus and you're bored. Definitely by First Chronicles, right? Definitely. You're struggling. Can I really admit to be delighting in God's law when I break it each and every day? Do I delight in it? Yes. Perfectly? No. And if you want to argue with me about this, I'd love to hear because I'd be worried about you. If you say, I do this, I'm, I got it. I've got it down. I'd be worried. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Psalm 14 will later tell us, 14, Psalm 14 verse 3 says, None is righteous, not one. Which if you know the book, book of Romans, Paul will quote that in Romans 3. The Psalms start off with the righteous man, and then a few Psalms later it talks about no one being righteous. And this is the problem for us. This is really a problem for us. Because we've got the righteous man and then there's the wicked. And we, don't we want to be blessed by God? Don't we want that pronouncement? Blessed is the man. Blessed by God if we're righteous. If I only do this partially, am I only partially blessed? I felt that way. I felt that. You know when I preached this psalm 10 years ago, you know what I called it? I called it, Do Hard Things. Some of you are laughing. Do hard things. Reject the way of the world. Seek to live for God. Trust in Christ. The only thing that kept it from turning into heresy was because I did realize that the gospel was needed. So, What are our options? What are our options for the righteous man in Psalm 1? None of you in here hopefully want to know how to become wicked. So, the righteous man. So, how do you become wicked? Be born. Alright. What are our options in Psalm 1? I think there's three options for, about looking at who the righteous man is here. The first option is the graceless option. The graceless option. Hopefully you go, I don't want that one. Perhaps the worst possible way to, to see this psalm and see this righteous man is to see it entirely through the eyes of human merit for ourselves. And we look at it and we go, if I don't do those bad things and I try really hard to obey God and His Lord, then I will be, be, be blessed. We get that? Entirely unmediated human merit. Why is that wrong? It's wrong because it's a non-Christian reading. It's 
a graceless leading. You either end up arrogant if you think you obey, or you'll just simply give up and be burned out. How many times have we heard those stories? I tried really hard to be good and obey biblical morality, not sleep around, go to church, and all these kind of things, and I just failed at it. Sad, horrible to hear that story. Never grasping the gospel at all. That's the first option for the righteous man, the graceless option. We can easily discount it. The second option is the grace-reliant option. And hopefully most of us, as we read it, we at least come to this point. The grace-reliant option is most of the puzzle is just lacking something. And with that, perhaps you'll see that you're naturally the wicked man, and you naturally have a, a huge need for grace to be like this righteous, blessed man or woman of someone. That you need to repent of your sin because you failed to live up to God's standard. You need to believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior and ask for His forgiveness. And then you need to, you see your need, we need to study the Word of God and see how to live, seek to delight in that, and say no to worldliness, seek to take our minds and set them on good things, not bad things. Huge amount of truth in what we've just said. Huge amount of truth. I'm not at all telling you not see it that way, but we need something more. The problem with just simply seeing someone as a grace-reliant righteous man and the wicked is that, as we said earlier, there's the temptation to then just lower the standards. To lower the standards and what it means to be righteous and live as the righteous one. Maybe you'll feel like you're on a treadmill and wondering, am I doing enough? Am I really delighting in God's law enough? Do I love enough? Do I say no enough? Maybe you might question, if you'll see this, whether you truly are blessed by God because you see your own failings. I spent most of my teenage years and my early 20s just wondering, is it really there? Am I really blessed? Maybe you'll see the end of verse 3. It says, the blessed man prospers in all that he does. And you go, ask yourself, am I truly prospering in all that I do? You might ask yourself, I'm dealing with illness, or my family is just not going well, my relationships are difficult. Am I truly prospering in all that I do? Am I really blessed? Is God punishing me? I think that's the problem. I think that's where you can go if you push it a little bit further. Perhaps the best way, and I, I think the way Jesus would have us interpret this psalm is, is the Christ-centered option. That's the third way. It's the grace, 
the Lions option, but it's got something that comes first and it makes the psalm good news for us. You know, Jesus gives us the ability to view Psalm 1 this way. In Luke 24:44, he said to his disciples, Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What am I saying? I want you to look at Psalm 1. Just look at the text. Even the grammar of this text is going to help us see this. Wicked is plural. There are many wicked. The blessed man. And just so we know, it's not saying man is in humanity. Men, women, children. It's not saying that. It's saying man. Single man. Singular man. The blessed man is a singular blessed man. There are many wicked. There's a singular blessed man. What's his name? What's his name? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the blessed righteous man of Psalm 1. Jesus Christ is the anointed messianic king of Psalm 2. Jesus Christ is the suffering servant of Psalm 3. Jesus is the only one of whom Psalm 1 is perfectly true. Remember we said this is a wisdom psalm. It's not calling us necessarily to do anything. It's saying that God's blessing is upon the righteous one. That in God's economy there are the righteous and there are the wicked. Jesus Christ has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that the one who both may boast in the Lord, not himself. I have to think when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians 1 that he was thinking about Psalm 1. Jesus was never influenced nor agreed with the counsel of the wicked. Jesus never stood in the way of sinners. Jesus never blasphemed God, even when Satan in the wilderness was tempting him to do so. He perfectly delighted in God's word. He stored it up in his heart that he might not sin. He was perfectly righteous in all that he did. Psalm 1 is not a road map for blessed living in and of itself for us. It is calling us to be saved by this blessed righteous man. This true Messiah King who volunteered as a, a suffering servant, and as the words of Isaiah 53 tell us, to make many righteous. Jesus says in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus is the stream planted by the, the tree planted by streams of water. We are the fruit. And if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit and do good works. In all he does, he prospers. Even the cross, this picture of great failure, he volunteered for it. He was exactly where he was be according to the will of the Father. In all that he does, he prospers. 
So then we must ask ourselves, do we just give up? Do we just give up? Because Jesus has done it all. Is it cool that we just go and walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, No, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? There is a direct command in the New Testament to stay away from that. Do we give up seeking to delight in the law of God and meditating on it? Think of Paul's words in Philippians 4. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Seeing Jesus Christ as the blessed man puts the psalm in a correct We don't need to lower God's standard. We don't have to feel crushed and wonder whether we truly are blessed. We can see our blessedness in the person of Christ. Because He did what we cannot do. And then, that's the first thing. And then we now go to that great reliant option that we talked about. We see Him first. And then, by faith in Him, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can seek to, to love God and live obedient lives and say no to the world and delight in His Word. And we will do this imperfectly. And our imperfections ought to then drive us continually to Him. Look to Him and see what He has done. Look to Him for forgiveness. Look to Him and pray by the Holy Spirit that we will have the ability to To conclude, those last couple verses, those the wicked and the righteous, let's read those Christocentrically. When Christ returns, he will be the one who judges the wicked. And as the wheat is separated from the chaff, and the chaff is blown away by the wind and the judgment of God, we will not be saved because our good works were good enough, but because the blessed righteous man was good on our behalf and we abide in him. That's good news. 